suffering and patience during suffering. That's the context of these scriptures that we'll examine today. And suffering often involves two sides of an equation. Last week we considered the owner-employers who inflicted suffering upon their workers. Now this week we'll consider the other side of the equation, the workers and the employees who must persevere and endure the suffering that the owners, the employers, are inflicting upon them. And again, as I mentioned earlier, though we'll spend our time today studying verses 7 through 11 of James 5, I'd like for us to go back and reread verses 1 through 6 of James 5. So let me read those words for you. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And then listen to these words again from verses 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. A quick reminder as we begin our study of these particular words. From 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we know that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God, so that the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, these words that we just read from James chapter 5, they are a perfect example of that special truth there given in 2 Timothy 3. God wants you and me to read all of these words, to study them, to dig deeply into each of those scriptures so that we can profit from them. These words that we just read here in James 5, They are God-breathed. Think about that. 
They have the very breath of God within them. They have the power of the Holy Spirit residing within those words. And God is asking you and me to engage with these truths. Not just read them. Not just bring them into our thoughts. But to actually engage with these truths. We're to be taught and reproved and corrected and trained by them. And we'll only be able to do that if we actually engage with these truths. Now here in our text, the Holy Spirit is pleading with you and me and all believing Christians everywhere to do a very difficult thing. To be patient whenever we encounter seasons of suffering. And I use the word seasons of suffering because suffering is usually not a one-moment event. It is often for a season. And so here the Holy Spirit is pleading with you and me to be patient when we encounter these seasons of suffering. And you and I will encounter those seasons. They come to us. That's part of what takes place. And we all know that. And in here though, as we see in this particular context, patience is especially needful as we engage in the most common occurrence of our day. And that is our employment. Our business. He says to us in verse 7, Be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, he says. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now as we learned in the words of the first six verses, one of the most difficult forms of suffering is when mistreatment comes from our employers who also happen to be trusted fellow believers in Christ. We expect more out of them. What would that look like if those same employers who are mistreating some of you, if they were in this very church? And God is taking that into account. Now, perhaps they're not in this church, but they're going to be in a church somewhere because they're Christians, and that's what Christians do. They go to church. But as you're able to observe, many of those Christians fail to take the biblical truths that they learn while they're there in the church on out into the workplace with them. And so disputes and mistreatments arise such as these that we just read about in the first part of James 5. Now, no matter what side of a disagreement that we would find ourselves on, whether it be the owner, employer, or the worker, each side can find ways to count themselves as being the mistreated ones, find themselves to be innocent and the other as being wrong. Now, here in these verses especially these verses 1 through 6, the Apostle James has addressed the the owners, the employers, for their misbehavior in their dealings with their workers. And here he was pronouncing the sternest of warnings, rebuking them, because although God had given them the greatest of success and prosperity in their business, these owners, they were still cheating and they were defrauding their workers. And again, the most surprising part of this equation is these owners 
these employers were themselves Christian men. But unfortunately, success and prosperity, and especially power, they are conditions that are filled with pitfalls and possibilities of ungodly conduct. Even, again, within the hearts and souls of believing Christians. Now a reminder from the message last week, God is a very faithful Father. And He has promised to bless us wherever we go. And He had done that with these employers, these owners there in these first six verses. They had been driven from Israel because of their belief in Christ. And they had settled into foreign lands. But as God has promised to do, He followed them and He poured out blessings upon them. And they became successful. But what did they do with the success? What did they do with God's blessings that were poured out upon them? They had responded by not managing God's blessings in a godly way. They had not managed those blessings in the way God wanted them to. Unfortunately, money has a way of captivating the hearts of even the most ardent of believers, corrupting their thoughts and their behaviors. And these Christian owners and employers, they stumbled as they managed these blessings that God had poured out upon them and they began to misuse them and to cheat and defraud their workers. But now here, beginning in verse 7, we're given an intimate look at what takes place on the other side of this suffering, of this equation of conflict between the employers and the employees. Now this time, the Christian employees who are suffering. And in these words, we're also able to see a very special requirement that God is placing upon these Christian hearts as they experience this season of suffering and mistreatment. What are they going to do with their circumstance? How are they going to respond to God? Here God begins by encouraging those who are mistreated to be patient in their suffering. To be patient in their suffering. To bear up to afflictions without murmuring. To endure injury without revenge. That is foreign to our thinking today. Listen to the voices that are in the streets today. No one, no one, it seems, will do what God is requiring here. They're not only murmuring out there, they are screaming. But God is saying, no, you be patient. You bear up to your afflictions without murmuring. You're to endure your injury without wanting revenge. These concepts, folks, are so very important for us to understand and not only to understand but to accept. Our sufferings, though they may be personal and painful, must be suffered, listen, for the same reasons that Christ suffered. Why did He suffer? Christ suffered that others might gain. He was willing to suffer that others might gain. And not simply for this lifetime that we're in, but also 
eternally. And no, you and I are not able to save another person's soul as Christ is. But in our involvements with other people, and as we suffer, we are to be the very image of Christ so that others might see our good works and glorify the Father. Because that is what Jesus did in His suffering. And so also, you and I are being called here to endure the suffering and to not only buck up to it and endure it, but to glorify God in the process so that we might, by our behavior, gain other souls for God's kingdom. Now, so again, here in these words of our passage, you and I, these people then, are being strongly exhorted to be patient in suffering. Again, to to bear up to our afflictions without murmuring. To endure our injuries without revenge. And if God does not come to our aid as quickly as we would hope He would, we must wait for Him. The vision given here for the Lord's help to come is for an appointed time later. And because of that, these words that are given here, they exhort patience that is lengthened out to long-suffering. And our patience is not to be of the kind of the secular world, but it's to be of the kind of patience that is able to look in and see the will of God taking place. To be able to see His plan and His wisdom. Trusting that He has a future blessing out there after those early and later rains. He has a future blessing in store for us. And also for all of those souls that might witness, again, our suffering and glorify the Father. And also take note that when God calls for patience, our weight is not hoping that that other party in the dispute or the mistreatment will change. Our waiting is to join with Christ in what He's doing and to see God's plans and wait upon God's answers. Unfortunately, too often we're wanting that other party in the dispute to change. And that's not the point being made here. He says, Be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, he tells us. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, these words encouraging us to be patient until the Lord Jesus comes, they are so key to us being able to withstand the suffering. But it's also very important for us to understand that the waiting time is not necessarily implying that we need to wait until His second coming. Yes, we're to do that. But His coming that they're talking about here, these words are speaking of, His coming is here already. It is at hand. It is right with us. It is ever-present. It is ongoing and within our hearts. In Luke 17.21, we're told there that His kingdom is already here in the midst of us and in us who have Christ as our Savior. We are simply to be patient as His plans and His purposes are being worked out. 
But again, patience while we're being mistreated truly is so very difficult and few there are that are able to withstand it. Most people are not able to. Suffering, especially of the extended kind, can often cause us to give up and do things that we should not do. Wrong things. And why is that? It's because within each one of us, within your heart, within my heart, there's this inborn sense of fairness and unfairness. And we base all of our responses on that. In our human condition, our soul demands. It just demands and cries out to be treated fairly. By the way, that is nothing new to our generation. Listen to these words from Psalm 73. This is written thousands of years ago. Psalm 73, verse 2. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they had no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. You know, too often, we Christians get caught up watching and envying those who are enjoying their very public success. You turn on your television and you watch these star athletes or star entertainers or the wealthiest of the wealthy. And we say, wow, what it would be like. When it gets to be personal, it's when we see this success oozing out from those who are making their fortunes off the the efforts and, and the sweat of people like us. It doesn't take long for us to add up the clues in front of us, clues that tell us that we're doing all the work and those rich people are getting to reap all the benefits. How often do you hear that being said in interviews on the television and radio? How often does that rise up within your own heart. Rich people getting richer, making money off the sweat of our brow. Most often, if we let that build, we become bitter and we stay bitter. Here in verse 9, God is saying though, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Here again, God is reminding us that though we're being mistreated, that you and I must not return evil for evil, that we must not become like those who are mistreating us. Else, we'll be judged right along with them because we will be doing exactly what they've done. Now may I take a moment and share with you a particular vision that I have whenever I consider matters such as these. It's a vision that pictures all of the parties to a matter sitting down at a table to consider that matter. Some of those involved are in positions of authority and power. Others are observers. And then others, often ourselves, if we're the ones that are being mistreated, and we have very little control, very little authority, but we're suffering. That's the vision that I have for the things that God's saying here in all of these verses of James 5. 
God has a plan in amongst all of that that's taking place, both with the rich landowners and the mistreated workers. He has a plan, but it's a long-term plan. In verses 1 through 6, we're able to see the circumstances of the rich and wealthy. They have all the authority and the power. And they can do things because they have the authority and power to do The other side are the workers. Men of very little wealth, authority, or power. And as sometimes takes place then, and as taken place here, the owners have mistreated those in authority under them. Now in my vision of this circumstance, I picture all of these men sitting down at the table, each with their own understanding of their wealth and power and authority. And while it might look like those who have the greatest wealth have all the advantages in that meeting, that is only true in the short term. Why? Because always seated at the head of that table is our all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful God. God Himself. And God has a very special plan. One that most of them may not know about. And it's a plan for good for everyone that's seated at that table. And yes, that does also include those very corrupt cheaters and liars that are seated there. Because God loves them too. And He wants the very best for them and He wants to redeem them. And while it may appear that the wealthiest in the crowd are holding all the good advantages, the one at the head of the table, God Almighty Himself is ever and always the one who will actually make the final decision. And again, while we who are suffering most at the moment would like for God to go ahead and bring some relief to our distress, God has so much more to accomplish than just relieving your and my and these workers' immediate suffering. His desire is that every person seated at the table would prosper. And not necessarily to prosper financially, but that they would prosper morally and spiritually. And that often takes a longer period of time than we would like. And so the sufferers are called to be patient. Now here God gives us this brief kind of parable so that we can grasp His intention, so we can understand what He is saying to us. He gives us this example of a farmer waiting for the process of the growing season to work its way out. It takes time for seeds to germinate and then to gain growth and maturity. They need rain. They need sunshine. And so it is with people and their growth in matters of the Spirit. For the Christians who isolate themselves from the church and from the Word of God being poured out upon them, they'll not grow. They'll not mature. And their growth then will be stunted. And their fruits will be minimal if if at all. Suffering is a key element. Romans 5 tells us that suffering brings on perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And though we don't like suffering. It is so very needful. But it's an especially strange factor in this equation when those who are in less of authority and less power 
less wealth must do the suffering so that those with greater authority can gain. It's hard for us to understand. Sometimes perhaps we never will. But if we will be patient and join with God in His plan, all of those of us who will join with Him will eventually be blessed beyond measure. We will. So then, what do you and I take home with us from these words? It is that yes, sufferings truly will come to us, whether in our workplace or out there in the culture. But we must not join with those loud protesting voices. Those ones that come up on your television sets. Don't join with their voices, not even at your television or to your friends. Don't join with them. But instead, stop and look for God's hand in whatever that matter is in front of you, especially if it's hurting you. And He's saying to us, be patient. Join with Him. Trust that He really does have a plan. And His blessings will eventually come to all of us who wait. He promises and He guarantees that. So He says in verse 7, Be patient until the coming of the Lord. In Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray.